Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another 15-minute devotional. Thank you for joining us today for this session that we try to do on Wednesdays. This is for Akron Alliance Fellowship Church or for anyone who wants to join us and uh, continue on our biblical journey together. We appreciate you being here. My name is Melvin Gaines. I want to make sure to remind for those of you who are new to the devotional and what we do here, uh, this particular program encourages viewers and listeners to get into God's Word and stay in God's Word with consistency as you learn and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, in this program, we're going to be covering the daily reading for Wednesday, May 24th, 2003, 2023. Excuse me, May 24th, 2023. We're now going back 20 years. <laughs> um, the verses we're going to be covering here are Numbers 19, verses 1 to 22, Mark 16, verses 9 through 20, Psalm 56, verses 10 through 13, and Proverbs 15, verses 31 and 32. This is following the two-year Bible plan. Our church endorses and recommends the two-year Bible plan because it makes you most successful, frankly, for reading the Bible uh, over a two-year period. And we think it's helpful also, too, that including the reading that you do, for the sake of continuity for this particular program and the devotion, what we will do is read the passages for today and then make some verbal notes or content as we go along. But when you do your two-year Bible plan reading, you're going to cover normally a 7 to 10 minute period of reading of the scriptures, because that's how long it would normally take. And then you would follow that with an additional 5 to 8 minutes of time uh, in meditation and prayer. That would be the way you would practice following a two-year Bible plan. Um, that's why we call it a 15-minute devotional. That covers a 15-minute period of time. We encourage all participants to follow this pattern as they develop the best habits for reading, studying, and meditating on God's Word. And, of course, you can read more than 10 minutes if you want to, uh, and we encourage you to do that. But if you have time constraints, if you have things that are getting in the way as far as getting you towards the Word, this 15-minute devotional is going to establish good habits every single day. So let's go ahead and get started. Amen. Uh, we're going to first start with a word of prayer because that's the appropriate way to get into reading God's words. So let's do that. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for this time that you've set aside for us to study your word and look at what your word has to say to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that the time that we spend in your word will always be beneficial. It will all be, always be something that we would pay close attention to and always make an effort to do as often as possible. But Lord, we need to hear you speak to us rather than hearing anything that the world has to say to us. We thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody, turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Numbers 19. Numbers chapter 19. A little bit shorter passage than the last time we got together. It's verses 1 through 22. Numbers 19, verses 1 through 22. And I'm going to open up... Um, my other Bible here to since it has nice large print that's helpful um, numbers 19 verses 1 through 22 very good now in my Bible uh, we're going to be reading the New Living Translation so we ask that you follow along in your version in my Bible the heading for this section happens to be laws for purification this is something that God is establishing uh, to his the Israelites who are uh, traveling in the wilderness Let's go to Numbers 19, verse 1. 
The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Here is another legal requirement commanded by the Lord. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a heifer, a perfect animal that has no defects and has never been yoked to a plow. Give it to Eliezer the priest, and it will be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Eliezer will take some of the blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tabernacle. As Eliezer watches, the heifer must be burned. It's hide, meat, blood, and dung. Verse 6. Eliezer, must, the priest, must then take a stick of cedar, a hyssop branch, and some scarlet yarn, and throw them into the fire where the heifer is burning. Then the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Afterward, he may return to the camp, though he will remain ceremonially, ceremonially unclean until evening. The man who burns the animal must also wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and he too will remain unclean until evening. Then someone who is ceremonially clean will gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them in a purified place outside the camp. They will be kept there for the community of Israel to use in the water for the purification ceremony. This ceremony is performed excuse me, for the removal of sin. The man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothes, and he will remain ceremonially unclean until evening. This is a permanent law for the people of Israel and any foreigners who live among them. All those who touch a dead human body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves on the third and seventh days with the water of purification. Then they will be purified. But if they do not do this on the third and seventh days, they will continue to be unclean even after the seventh day. Although all those who touch a dead body and do not purify themselves in the proper way defile the Lord's tabernacle and they will be cut off from the community of Israel. Since the water of purification was not sprinkled on them, their defilement continues. This is the ritual law that applies when someone dies inside a tent. All those who enter that tent and those who are inside when the death occurred will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Verse 15, any open container in the tent that was not covered with a lid is also defiled. And if someone in an open field touches the corpse of someone who was killed with a sword or who died in a natural death, Or if someone touches a human bone or a grave, that person will be defiled for seven days. To remove the defilement, put some of the ashes from the burnt purification offering in a jar and pour fresh water over them. Then someone who is ceremonially clean must take a hyssop branch and dip it into the water. That person must sprinkle the water on the tent, on all the furnishings in the tent, and on the people who were in the tent, also on the person who touched a human bone or touched someone who was killed or who had died naturally or touched a grave. Verse 19, on the third and seventh days, the person who is ceremonially clean must sprinkle the water on those who were defiled, who are defiled. Then on the seventh day, the people being cleansed must wash their clothes and bathe themselves. And that evening they will be cleansed of their defilement. But those who become defiled and do not purify themselves will be cut off from the community 
for they have defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. Remember that. Since the water of purification had not been sprinkled on them, they remained defiled. This is a permanent law for the people. Those who sprinkle the water of purification must afterward wash their clothes, and anyone who then touches the water used for purification will remain defiled until evening. Verse 22, anything and anyone that a defiled person touches will be ceremonially unclean until evening. Now, that's Numbers 19, verses 1 through 22. And let's look at some of the symbolism that's taking place here in this passage very quickly, because there is a, it's a relatively simple uh, observation, but we notice that there is a, a heifer that is being sacrificed and understand something. Every time when we talk about the sanctuary of the Lord and the tabernacle and, and how the Lord wants things done, he wants things done in a specific order and he, and he has a specific reason behind it. And there's some symbolism in this. The heifer is emblematic of the work of our Lord. If you, if you were to refer to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13, it says in Hebrews 9, 13, under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. And this was to be a sin offering. And what did Jesus Christ do for us on the cross? He died on the cross for us to do what? The shedding of his blood to cleanse us and make us righteous before our heavenly father. So we recognize that that is what is taking place here. And this purification is taking place. Um, the hyssop, uh, the water... The water that's involved here, where we're talking about sprinkling the ashes and putting the ashes in water, and there's a process for that too. It has to be done exactly the way it's being specified here. The water is a representation of, what, of the living word of Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to recognize too. Um, it is a, um, it's really a, a wonder what God has done and what he continues to do for us to help us to understand his goodness and how he goes about it and this was an ordinance that God was establishing because it wasn't going to be practical and necessary to take the tabernacle and put it up take it down again put it up take it down again so he's offering this as a way for them to keep moving and keep going forward uh, as far as their travels are concerned but now they can have this sacrifice that takes place and water's involved in it and there's one other thing I want to remember, too, about the hyssop as well, too. The hyssop um, is a representation of faith. That what we're doing and what we are representing here, the hyssop represents faith. We have to believe that what Jesus has done for us is true and that we have faith in him. And not just in the truth of his message to us, but the truth in how he helps us to live and, and function and move about and be ministers of the gospel on his behalf we exercise all these things in faith and so that is why we want, want to look at this particular section um, and rep look at exactly how christ is the one who is being represented in these different um, representations the, the the heifer the the water the hyssop those things are all uh, representations of jesus christ Jesus Christ died one time for all of us, amen? He's not going to go to the cross over and over again. He only had to do it one time as a perfect, permanent sacrifice for us. Of course, the uh, Israelites back then, they had to do this continually because we sin all the time. We sin every day. We need 
uh, to make sure that we are taking ourselves when we go before the Lord, that we are going before the Lord uh, with the desire to have forgiveness of his sin. And so that's why this uh, ordinance was put in place for the Israelites for purification. We, we can't approach the Lord any other way than to be purified. And he's the one that has to do it. But we have to be obedient as far as how we go about that. And may we in the same manner go before the Lord in the same way where we recognize that Jesus indeed is Lord and Savior of our lives and that we rely upon him for the forgiveness of sins because of what he did on the cross for us. Amen? Makes perfect sense. Um, your comments or questions of all of this, of course, are welcome. And I recommend you go back and read over it. Numbers and, and a lot of the Old Testament passages do take some time sometimes to go through. But you look at the precision that God is using when he communicates with us about this. Let's turn now to Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. Mark 16, verses 9 through 20. Now, I'll read the passage, and we'll go over this briefly with discussion. This is literally the end of uh, the book of uh, Mark. Um, Verse 9, Mark 16, verse 9. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Verse 12. After he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country, they rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Verse 14. Still later, he appeared to the eleven disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Verse 17. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Okay. Now, this section of Scripture has been deemed to be uh, somewhat controversial and it's because essentially of the fact that there are some versions of the Bible that end literally at verse 8 chapter 16 verse 8 and that's the shorter ending of Mark and we just read the longer ending of it and you know it's interesting a lot of people will try to find ways to inauthenticate what's taking place but we where I come down on this, and it's really just a matter of just doing the research and reviewing things, this, we believe, I believe, is, is authentic text, uh, according to the scriptures. It's got Mark's same writing style. He's writing, he literally writes a Cliff Notes version, <laughs> for lack of a better way of putting it, of all the events that took place at the time when Jesus was in the tomb up until the time he ascended. And that's essentially what this this longer ending is. It's written in true style by Mark, the way he writes, because he writes things and is very succinct. 
and very clear about that. And understand that the disciples, the ones who had followed Jesus until the time when uh, he was being arrested and they all deserted him and they left him and they were like standing off on the sidelines and observing what is going on. Of course, you know that Peter had betrayed him uh, three times as well, too. But it's interesting that the, the, the last people to see Jesus on the cross were the women, the women um, that were following Jesus. And the first people to see Jesus when he, after he had risen from the tomb, were the women. The, there's no reason to believe that the disciples were going to take the word of anybody. They were in hiding. They were waiting before something was going to happen until they decided to go and visit Jesus' tomb. But they never even did that. And that's why we read later on in this passage where Jesus had rebuked them because he had sent people to them to, to proclaim that Jesus, in fact, had risen from the dead. The women had, were sent. Um, the, the account of the walk of the two men on the road to Emmaus, Emmaus they were also uh, went, ran back and told them what they experienced, but they didn't do anything with it. So that was something that was important for us to point out here. And this is all about our levels of faith sometimes are going to be challenged. When we see something that doesn't agree or doesn't look right, uh, are we going to recoil and just kind of stay on the sidelines, or are we going to go back out and reach out in faith to Jesus and help and have him help us through those situations or those moments? Something to take into account. The women were always uh, very sensitive to who Jesus was. It was the men, the disciples, who really struggled with this. But then... When the Holy Spirit came upon them, and that's when um, it's written here in Mark that he told them to go into all the world and preach the good news. That's essentially the uh, passage in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And uh, do so in such a manner where you're conveying this to the ends of the earth. And that's the call they were given. And that's what we want to take away here. It's the Spirit that enables us to be able to truly execute what Jesus would have us to do. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not be able to do anything of, the, of that sort because we'd be in the flesh. We'd be operating only on our own fleshliness, our own vices, that type of thing. So while the ending to Mark has been taken into, called into question by some, um, I believe that this is indeed authentic because we have many Bibles and passages that indeed include that, uh, albeit maybe with a, a footnote of some sort just because of the fact that there are some differentiations. But just based upon what we're seeing here, the way that Mark, the way this is being written, we believe that Mark is still the author. He's still the one that wrote it and just give a, gave a big summary of everything that was taking place right at, at that time. Okay, let's move on to Psalm 56. Thank you for indulging me with that as I was trying to go through it, make sure I didn't miss any points on that. Um, it's, it's one of those things that we have to make sure that as we read and look at scripture and study it, that we want to make sure that we're taking into account as much as we can and much as we can understand through the spirit, the, the intent and the meaning behind it. Psalm 56 verses 10 through 13. Let's read with verse, start with verse 10. I praise God. This is David. This is one of David's uh, Psalms, by the way. I trust in God. I praise God, excuse me, for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? 
I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept me, kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. Amen. And there are some things we want to make sure that we understand is that when David was writing this, he was writing it because he was fearful. He was fearful. And yet he was challenging himself to have greater faith. And we need to understand that fear and faith can coexist. We want to teach this properly just based upon, first of all, what David is writing here and and giving to us as the inspired word of God in scriptures. When we have fear, how do we overcome fear? We increase our faith. It doesn't mean that fearfulness is completely gone. It is lessened or diminished when we increase our faith. That is the challenge that we need to have here um, when we look at this. I want to look at one particular passage, though, that may address or challenge that way of thinking, and I'm going to explain it. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Well, let's, let's start with verse 17. 1 John 4, 17 and 18. 1 John 4, verses 17 and 18. And what we need to understand here is that we don't want to confuse the greater, the more faith you have, the less fear you will experience. People do things in fear all the time, but what they're doing is they're stepping out on faith. So we need to understand that, let's just read verse 17, 1 John 4. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. And look at verse 18. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all, all fear. What expels all fear? Perfect love. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Now, we see the distinction, don't we? We are fearful uh, if we we should be fearful, frankly, if we don't have Jesus Christ in our lives, because we should be fearful of what judgment. But perfect love, the love of Jesus Christ, if we love Jesus and we recognize who he is in our life as Lord and Savior, that will eliminate all fear that we need to have any concern over as far as our very souls, the very way we uh, are, we live today and what we have to look forward to. Because the love that Jesus has for us is perfect love. And so that's the distinction we need to make. We, are, we need to recognize that we are challenged to be more faithful when we are fearful. And we can do that because we have what? The knowledge of who Jesus Christ is in our lives. When we don't follow Jesus, when we don't trust Jesus in uh, entirety, when it comes to who he is and what he represents... We, we are not living in such a manner where we're really being faithful and we're not really living in such a manner where we frankly should be because if we are embracing the perfect love of Jesus Christ, there's no reason for fear when it comes to who we are. We're going to live our lives and go through fearful experiences. That's when we're challenged to use greater faith to overcome that fear. We live in a fallen world. We're going to have 
uh, situations where things are not going to be agreeing with us or things that we may come up upon dangerous situations. We need to have faith. And uh, that's going to be our challenge for us as well, too. Um, the Lord's going to help us with our unbelief. Where have we seen this before? Go to Mark chapter 9. One more uh, reading in Mark. Mark 9, verses 22 through 24. Mark chapter 9, verse 22. This has to do with the, the man uh, who has a child who continues to throw himself in the fire because he is possessed by uh, a, a demon. And it says, verse 22, The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, the evil spirit, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Verse, and Jesus says in verse 23, What do you mean if I can? Jesus asks, Anything is possible. If a person believes the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Guess what? That's something we should be crying out all the time. There are many times we are just challenged in our faith because of what we truly believe. Do we believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do we believe that Jesus died on the cross for us um, in order to pay the penalty for our sins and give us eternal life and varying degrees of challenges to our belief system as we go along especially if you're listening too much to what the world has to say never question well you can question it but never doubt that jesus keeps his word he's faithful he's faithful even when we struggle with being faithful so let's keep that in mind as we look at this all right one more passage here uh proverbs chapter 15 proverbs 15 verses 31 and 32 proverbs 15 verses 31 and 32 verse 31 of proverbs 15 if you listen to constructive criticism you will be at home among the wise if you reject discipline you only harm yourself but if you listen to correction you will grow you grow in understanding you know what this passage is all about? Being humble. When all of us have done things that where we've made mistakes, it might be on the job, might be something personal, and sometimes someone will come come alongside you and provide constructive criticism to help you to avoid making the same mistake again in the future. Well, a humble person accepts the criticism, and that's what that's why the scripture says you'll be at home among the wise because you're. You don't know who the Lord is sending in your life to help you, to give you correction. It's not always going to be something the Lord is going to do to chasten you or to uh, remind you of something you should have done. Sometimes people will come in your life and do that as well, too. Um, and verse 32, if you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. Um, it's really bad when you're stubborn and you don't want to hear somebody give you good information that's helpful for you in the future. Um and humility is the whole issue, too. Um, a little, uh, a little uh, brief note here. Verse 33 essentially says that very same thing in the same passage. Fear the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility precedes honor. And that's what we need to take away from that. Humility is what helps us to always be in the running to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If we go to him, ask for forgiveness for our sins repent and turn to him that's an act of humility that's a necessary thing for us to do in this world today amen let's pray
Lord, we thank you for this time once again to go through the reading for today. And Lord, we want to learn some things from it where we want to, first of all, dedicate ourselves to always being in your word, trusting what your word has to say, and being very consistent in our approach as we look to you. Lord, your word is the living word. And it is indeed nourishing for us to be able to take on take on the reading of your word each day. We welcome it. We want to embrace it. We want to always uh, have the mentality that your word is most important in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for helping us to take a stand in your word and rely upon you to teach us, to give us what we need to live. And, Lord, to also help us recognize that we need to be humble before you. Bless us and keep us, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining me for today's 15-minute devotional. And we hope that you spend some time in the Word, 7 to 10 minutes a day. We appreciate you doing that. God bless you. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you next time.